0: Filmstruck is the streaming service for fans of great cinema and the exclusive streaming home for the Criterion Collection, featuring a bounty of independent and foreign titles plus original bonus material. And Filmstruck is now available on Roku. Start your free trial today at Filmstruck.com. Hello and welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Violet Luca, and I'm the digital producer. This week's episode is a special production by Words and Deeds, written and narrated by Andrea R. Vaucher. In 1990, Vauchay visited Jean Moreau to interview her for the March-April issue of Film Comment. You can read the full version of the interview on our website. Vaucher kept the tapes and presents an audio essay that was produced, engineered, and directed by David Bloom.
1: You're listening to Conversations with Jeanne Moreau, Talking Taboo with the Great Priestess of Cinema, narrated by Andrea R. Vaucher. Jeanne Moreau wasn't expecting me. Her assistant, Armelle Aubelin, who was with Moreau for years, peered out from behind the heavy wooden apartment door. What interview, she asked, visibly searching her mind for a clue. I had obviously been given the security code that unlocked the port cochere, the door to the street. Oberlin led me into the library and disappeared into the apartment's silent folds. As I waited, the steely gray light coming through the windows revealed clues to Moreau's personality and life. The books... Hellman, Highsmith, Virginia Woolf, Nabokov's Speak Memory, Lolita, Ada, and Penin, Fine 120 and Marlboro Light Cigarettes, texts on numerology and psychology, sheer sexy black stockings carelessly tossed over the back of an armchair. I was lost in reverie in some black-and-white Eric Romain a moral tale about middle-class infidelity when Moreau's unmistakable voice called my name. Andrea. I was jolted back to work. She was wrapped in a pink chenille bathrobe, wild white blonde hair and cigarette smoke. It was noon and Moreau had just gotten out of bed. Ever the professional, we rescheduled for later that afternoon. We sat in the shadow of the Eiffel Tower in the now familiar library and talked. Moreau, the daughter of a French barman and a Lancashire chorus girl who danced at the Casino de Paris, was in an abundant period of her life and she was feeling good about herself. I take time to be grateful, yeah.
2: And I don't take things seriously. I'm happy of success. I'm happy to be famous, but I, I don't take myself seriously, and um, it gives me a, a sense of responsibility. I can't allow myself to do things that I'm. you can never know in advance. But I don't allow myself to do some things I'm not sure
1: about. It was late 1989, an extraordinary time in Europe. The Eastern Bloc was crumbling. The Soviet Union would soon shatter. And within weeks of my first conversation with the great French actress, the Berlin Wall would fall. It was also an extraordinary time for Moreau herself. At 61, she was excited about her upcoming projects, which included a film with a young Russian director and a starring role in Vim Vendors' Until the End of the World. She was elated to have been asked to direct a three-hour documentary for French TV on François Truffaut, who had been her lover and who directed her in her most iconic role as Catherine in Jules and Jim. Although Moreau had been making films for 10 years, Louis Mal's *Elevated to the Gallows and the Lovers, Vadim's Les Liaisons Dangereuses, she knew making Jules and Jim would be life-changing.
2: But I knew, I had the feeling instinctively that it, it was going to be exciting, that there was something very, very special. And that doesn't happen many times. Because when you make a film, and unless you know the director, even if you have read the script, it's during the first days that you have the feeling of how it's going to be. And sometimes you think, oh, ho, ho okay. Then the day after, you're more optimistic and things like that. Or it may happen, too, that, you feel that the man is dedicated, and uh, I say the man, I don't say the woman. I only made a film with one woman after. E. And you have the impression that it may work, and in terms of the public, you don't know in advance. But that's why the feeling that I got when we were shooting Jews and Jim was absolutely unique, extraordinary.
1: My first conversation with Moreau in the library was an assignment for film comment.
2: Ans, aussi bien au we started
1: the interview in French. I asked C'était her how it felt, felt to come full circle and be working with the Comedy Francaise, the troupe uh, with whom she began her career vitalité. 42 years before.
2: Moi je ne vis pas d'une façon
1: she spoke about not aging in a conventional way, about having ça energy and vitality. On the other la, hand, la she vie, said death,
2: ça, c'est une the chose. end of a life, uh, affected her. Donc, j'ai pas, c'est à
1: of course, we spoke about the new wave, the new wave. And, and when L'ami I said Bain, she I was the first star Bardeau of that film moment to capture the audience's imagination, she
2: and It was Brigitte Bardot uh,
1: in Roger Vadim's un peu un peu *And God Created Woman*. C'était déjà un okay.
2: C'était déjà un Et je pense que c'est Brigitte. Brigitte a vécu son destin. She said
1: Brigitte had lived, lived out de her destiny completely different.
2: Moi, quand j'ai commencé à tourner avec Uma.
1: Moreau recalled Truffaut, that when she began working with Louis Mahon and
2: Truffaut, she had been making films for 10 years. years. Toujours, she felt that this moment was something boring. And but added, at that I age,
1: say, one always says
2: things very
1: egocentric. She thought Jules and Jim was the chance of a lifetime, a chance for her to escape the stereotypical role
2: and style of the store always followed around by the hairdresser, makeup woman, uh, costume fitting and everything. Tout d'un coup, c'était filming in the street, uh, very little makeup, costumes you'd find yourself,
1: Mahal well, recalled how suddenly the natural light was close up, When they did a close-up, it no longer took ça, half an hour under the lights. Lower Mais your face, face like that, comme that. Comme no like that. And then if she lifted her cœur. head, they'd si the lights!
2: Ta- ta- ah, la la <laughs> <laughs>
1: suddenly it was life, mm-hmm. And she felt that if she was going to thrive and have fun working in front of the camera, it would be like this.
2: Ça. Mm-hmm. Pas plus mal que
1: no less mal than
2: Truffaut or Godau or Chebron or Yvette, thought they were writing film. the history of On the cinema.
1: She said they weren't thinking in those terms. Chacun Each one saw sa sa his personal destiny. But she felt, she said, important. that it was, yes, very, very important. A couple months after our first conversation in Paris, I saw Moreau at the Sarasota French Film Festival, where she was being honored for *Jules and Jim.
2: I think the main idea is how can a woman manage to be in love with two men? And very funnily, the idea of the tragedy, the the last tragedy, the death, is erased. In the memory of people, they don't talk about the suicide and this crime. It's a crime and it's a suicide at the same time. But that's gone off. It's funny. What is left is the idea that a woman tried to make it with two men.
1: In Paris, Jeanne and I spoke about Truffaut, with whom she had a complicated relationship. I know that you said in some interviews that when you, when you were you know, working with Truffaut, that you hardly even communicated, that he sent you notes on how to communicate.
2: Yeah, but the communication was very intimate, but it didn't go through words, that's uh-huh.
1: all. It just wasn't through by through, through words. How did he influence you as a director, in your directing?
2: He didn't influence me.
1: Then who did influence you? Nobody. Not Austin Wells? No,
2: no. Real directors, they don't try to transform you. They allow you to become a character.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: A real director, that's what a real director is about. I'm not like La Celestine Mm
0: -hmm.
2: in daily life. But Vitez has never said to me, you must be like that. It's an intimate work that went on and on and on, and that's all. And uh, if there was any influence, it was a shared experience. Through me, uh, Francois uh, learned about women, and uh, through him, I learned about cinema. Well, that would need a very long conversation about uh, how one creates a character.
1: As far as yourself as a director, um, who, who are the directors that, that influenced you the most? I couldn't see directors. I
2: think uh, when you decide to be responsible of anything or a play or a film or a part, you're fed not only by things that have been done in the same area. But uh, for myself, I know that I'm, my life, I owe a lot to literature. I've read a lot. And important writers have a very special quality, as though they were psychic. They can write many years before about things, about how they're going to happen, and why they're going to happen. They give you an inner feeling of what life is about, not only yours. Once you get in touch with yourself, then you open to the rest of the world. So I couldn't give any names right. in terms of, of course, I could say that I admire the works of uh, some American directors, of French directors, uh, you know, all the classical names. That's true. and But that forces you to have a moral attitude And be honest with what you do. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: But the form
1: is personal. Moreau also had a long friendship and a productive working relationship with Austin Wells, with whom she made Chimes at Midnight, The Immortal Story, and The Trial. In fact, it was during dinner one night with Moreau that Wells found one of the principal locations for the trial.
2: He was staying at the Hotel Maurice, Uh and uh, he was preparing uh, the trial. And we had dinner, and then we drank quite a lot of sherry. And we spoke, and we laughed. And and then looking uh, by the window, he said, Oh, look! the moon. I said, oh, the moon, but we were not looking at the same one. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I said, where's your moon? He said, there. I said, so we uh-huh. saw two moons. And he was looking for a location for the trial, and because of these two moons, uh-huh. and these two clocks that were lighted from the inside,
1: uh-huh.
2: that's how he decided he would shoot inside the Palais d'Orsay.
1: And that was the night that you told him that you wanted to yes. be... Mm. And and what, what what was his answer when you said that you wanted well, to do that? Well he said that of course, but you have to it has to be a real
2: powerful need. Once it's a real need you have the freedom. Because he knew the respect I had for cinema. And um uh, but he was the only one who reacted like that. Oswald was not pleased with that.
1: He wanted you to continue acting Well, to him
2: it was shocking. Mhm. I mean, I was to be a star and be just that untouchable woman, but not to be uh, someone directing a crew and organizing things and making a film. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, I was losing my femininity. Mm. That's a very classical point of view he had.
1: And um, what about the last film, The Deep, that you did with Austin Wells? Well, we don't know that? where the
2: copy is. We don't know where the copy is. We know the copy exists. I'm sure it's in a lab somewhere, and I'm sure that the woman he left behind... Olga? Oh, yeah? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: I'm sure she knows where it is. Mm -hmm. So it's in her hands to decide.
1: But no one has ever seen this film? No, but I'm sure she knows where it is. Mm. But you don't care about getting it? I do
2: care. I'd like her to do something
1: about it. Oh, but it. she doesn't, she... I don't know. Oh, I see, you don't speak Well, maybe it. if
2: you write about it, maybe uh-huh. she'll do something
1: about okay. like <laughs> it. Good. <laughs> anyway, now, okay, so these are different men, Truffaut and Austin wells and what about Billy Friedkin? Did he encourage you as a director? Well, Billy, um, Billy Friedkin,
2: we were married. We had a marvelous time together, and very painful time, and uh, we didn't stay long. We had to divorce. I think he's a great film director. And I love him. Still, I love him. I mean, uh, yes, I do. Mm -hmm. I respect him. And uh, as soon as a man and a woman are involved in a very passionate relationship, it gets in the way. It gets in the way.
1: It gets in the way of friendship? Uh, it gets
2: in the way of friendship and uh, collaboration in terms of, of work.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, I read something, though, in, in an interview that said about him that once he said that that he would plan a shot and then the actors would come uh, like ants at a picnic. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I was very shocked when he said that. Uh-huh. I said, well, God, we don't like actors. Uh-huh.
2: But he's right in a way. Sometimes actors are a pain in the neck. Uh-huh. But was he
1: contemptuous of your craft? No, no, no. He used to call me like the
2: priest, the the great priestess of cinema. Oh, really? <laughs> It's true. true. We we should do the headline of (laughs) it. Well, that's Sometimes he said it with admiration, and sometimes he was saying it, you, the great priestess (laughs) of cinema.
1: Now, did you ever make a film together? Never. You never did. Did you talk about making films together? Oh, I
2: planned to make films together.
1: And um, and are you still in contact? Do you still speak to him? No, I haven't seen him for quite a long time. Now, at this time when you married him, that was before you made your film as a director, before you made Adolescent?
2: It was just before.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Yeah. He asked He asked to divorce the first week I started shooting. Oh, that's strange. <laughs>
1: the first week you started shooting, that's when, the, oh, that's interesting. It is interesting. Yeah, very interesting. <laughs> yeah.
2: Ah, uh, good moment.
1: <laughs> really? Oh, God, sympathetic. <laughs> yeah. yeah
2: when you hurt you went to hurt
1: so you, didn't, you don't know what he thought of your film no do you see yourself getting married again or or do you think well, this, one you, never knows but I mean the way of I, living do, do you think you could accommodate living with somebody or are you, are you I, I, I could live with somebody
2: but I couldn't submit to somebody
1: you couldn't submit to somebody and
2: why should I
1: uh-huh. and
2: why should another person submit to me
1: I don't know. <laughs> do you still believe in romantic
2: love? no I, 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 romantic love is, uh, is through experience and through what we see around us rom- romantic love and so many times with hatred I mean, I don't think it, I think it's called romantic love, but it has nothing to do with love. it's just passion it's, uh, it's a it's it, uh, a relationship that is based on all our illusion. Many times on both sides, people don't want together on the way he is. wants the person to be the way he or she wants. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I, I have not anyway. Mm-hmm. I, I've
0: done...
2: I don't to, <laughs>
1: J'ai déjà donné... Uh,
0: yeah, and the
2: knowledge... <laughs> uh, knowledge is useful.
1: Uh huh, you know. So you don't really, I mean, you're not really looking forward to having another, you know, big love in your life or? Well, I may, I may, but not that sort. Moreau appreciated the new wave stories that focused on relationships between the sexes, and she cherished the men in her life. I never heard her mention Truffaut or Friedkin without adding that she loved them still. In fact, she called the TV documentary she was directing on Truffaut The Proof of Her Love. But Moreau also had a conservative side and was a bit baffled by the cultural shifts that began in the 60s.
2: Every human being had a relationship with something taboo. Mm -hmm. Owned it in secret. Mm -hmm. But... As soon as everything opened, there was no taboos, so there was no private treasure hidden somewhere. Alors on a cru gagner beaucoup en disant, everything is allowed
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I can own the world. Well, maybe you can own the world, but the secret, that precious little thing that you could own, you lost it. People thought they were uncovering and things about sex and making things available for everybody about sex. And in fact, they uncovered nothing. they just, to many people, it meant don't worry, don't bother, sex is simple, take it. So it was, sex is taken and the sacred has disappeared. Sex has become like a good steak, uh, a, a, a drink, uh, a pleasure, like pissing, like shitting. It has lost something beyond the body, beyond, and it still exists, and it doesn't make people happier, and that's why they, they can, they can uh, film uh, the pubic hair, the genitalia. And there it is, and what it is, it's a piece of flesh. Mm -hmm. That's all. But, people, it makes them unhappy. It doesn't, it, it doesn't bring any pleasure. With woman liberation, women wanted to have the same status as men. And of course, it provoked a reaction amongst the men. And that reaction, because of fear, became Aggressivity.
1: Okay. So the male directors took out this aggressivity on the characters in... in Well, look at them. Brian De Palma. Okay.
2: In his films, the women are always uh, beaten and and killed. And I'm talking about Brian De Palma because I know him and I I think he's a very good director. But so many other directors do the same. My ex-husband, Friedkin, doesn't make films about women. (laughs) <laughs> he erased the, he, he them completely out of his, of his world. And in so many television films that you see, the horror that is going on on the body of women
0: mm-hmm.
2: it is something I can't stand anymore.
1: Moreau loved philosophical and intellectual exchanges. She was intensely curious about everything except politics, which was ironic. It was the topic on everyone's mind in Europe in
2: 1989. I my curiosity is a She
1: said we'd seen it all before where politics was concerned.
2: The script had already been written. I know. I know that it has to do with uh, egos. I know it has to do with power. And I I find it uh, at the same time boring and dangerous and destructive and uh, uh, means I don't I don't have time to to spend them um, reading uh, about politicians and things. Of course I know what's going on in the world, how the world transforms itself, how um, one country goes from one regime to the other that uh, East Germany is going to be empty and uh, West Germany is going to be too full up to the top, and all these people crossing the border and laughing and screaming with joy. I know that in two years' time, some of them will be desperate, and I know that, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. I I, I know that uh, about Vietnam, uh, the fact that, the armies have left this part of the world alone, and uh, I know about the Mer Rouge, I know about China, I know about... Uh, it doesn't mean that I'm not curious to know what what's going to happen, but unfortunately, what happened, it's always the worst. I mean... Uh, mm-hmm. So I try to be constructive, and uh, I'm concerned by everything else.
1: Moreau and I maintained a light friendship over several years. We'd go to films together and grab dinner, usually at some small family-owned bistro, somewhere we could both walk to from opposite ends of the Rue de l'Université. She loved to converse, toss around ideas, and never shied away from the hard subjects. Loss, love, death.
2: We, oui, mais comme rien n'est définitif. Uh-huh. Man never owns anything for a long time. Mm-hmm. At, at, starting by, it's his life. Mm-hmm. You lose it. you lose, uh, You lose everything good and everything bad. You have something that makes you happy. You won't keep it always. You lose it. You will be unhappy... You something happens to you that is painful, it never lasts. Nothing lasts.
1: Mm-hmm. Moreau wasn't a gossip, but her conversations were peppered with anecdotes about Marcello or Francois or Jim Harrison, whom she adored and with whom she had always hoped to work. And she loved the great American mid-century female stars, stars like Betty Davis. Well,
2: to tell the truth, when when I began, uh... I was told that I, I was a new Baby Davis and that got on my nerves. <laughs> Many years later, through a common friend in LA, Rupert Allen, he told me, he said, Well, Betty Davis, she'd like to know you at last. After all these years, she heard that there was a new Baby Davis and it's getting on her nerves. <laughs> so he arranged a lunch that we had at the Brown Derby, the two of us. And I loved being with her, and that was about uh, 15 years ago. And each time she came to Paris, or each time I was in New York or in L.A., and she was available, yeah, she was free, we would meet. I, I admire her very, very much. And she's so American, and I'm so French. was so funny. That's how I felt I was French. She's a great actor. I don't think we have many things in common. Because the films, when she made them, it was a beautiful period for women. And I've been very lucky, too. You know. because now young women are not as lucky as I am.
1: Moreau told the Betty Davis story at Sarasota. I recently listened to my Moreau tapes from the festival, and boy, was she a seductress. She knew her audience, and she played to it. But when she spoke about American films, she spoke from the heart. Like the directors of the new wave, men who are our friends, lovers, and collaborators, Moreau really loved American movies. She was also remarkably prescient about the changes coming to the medium. I would have loved to have talked with her about Netflix, YouTube, and virtual reality.
2: Looking at the landscape from from the window, it's so beautiful. I was thinking about this country and that incredible mysterious power, and uh, all the films you send, and some are very good and some are not. It's you know like any in any film industry, something always is attractive. It touches. Not only the curiosity of the people. Because once that curiosity is fed, they could say, okay, we've seen that before, it's an American film. No, there's a magic. And wherever you go in the world, when people go through hard times, they'd like to go to the stage as though it was a paradise, you know. It, it's very funny. I was thinking about it. There's no answer. And uh, maybe it's because the United States, there are very few Americans, and it's made of all sorts of uh, people coming from all over Europe and the rest of the world. You know, such a mixture. I don't know what you think. There's always something in the American films attracting the audience maybe you noticed that uh, the focus has been moving all the time it's been Italy and then it's been Spain and then there was a period when it was Germany when Fassbinder was there we have the vendors and then uh, two years ago it was uh, the British film industry that was moving on and 12 years ago it was Brazil. It's as though The humor, the creativity, is is moving all the time in the world. So nothing is ever finished. What changes a lot, of course, it's the media. Uh, It's all the films that are shown on television, and it's the uh, invasion of moving images in the home with all the cables all over the world. That's a big change.
1: Jeanne Moreau was always thinking and endlessly exploring, enthusiastic about a broad range of projects spanning the globe from the U.S. to Russia to Australia. She passionately wanted to know the different sides of life and the different sides of herself. She was indeed the great priestess of cinema, yet her energy and interests took her way beyond the world of film. Where do you think this comes from, this zest that you have for life? Does it come from your family? Are there women in your family that have been no, like for like years? No, my mother. My mother's
2: still alive, and she's, she's more uh, the type of being... My father was very frequently depressed. No. Maybe it's because they, they are like that or they were like that. I don't know. Well, maybe it's because I'm very grateful. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that many people in life, they get things and they don't pay attention. I always take time, every day, nearly every day, to think, God, how lucky you are. Oh, God, how marvelous it is. For example, before entering on stage, when I hear that rumor of the public, I'm full of. Energy, because to think that so many people gather—1,000 people—it's eight o'clock sharp, and here they are. And I've been doing the other play for three years, and wherever we went, I did that play 300 times. Wherever we went, the house is full. You have to be grateful when you do yeah. yeah.
1: This has been a Words and Deeds production. You've been listening to Conversations with Jeanne Moreau, Talking Taboo with the Great Priestess of Cinema. Written and narrated by Andrea R. Vaucher, produced, engineered, and directed by David Bloom.
0: You've been listening to a special episode of the Film Comment Podcast, written and narrated by Andrea R. Vaucher, and produced, engineered, and directed by David Bloom of Words and Deeds Productions. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Filmstruck. Filmstruck is the streaming service for fans of great cinema, and is the exclusive streaming home for the Criterion Collection. Criterion brings you a wealth of independent and foreign titles, along with original bonus material and expert commentary. And did I mention it's now available on Roku? Start your free 14-day trial today at Filmstruck.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth reviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomet.com slash subscribe to purchase a digital or print subscription to the magazine or check out our app available on Android, Kindle and iOS at filmcomet.com slash app.